Bump and Run with Bernie and Dalby. Presented by Burrito Express, your local burrito joint. Now, here's Brett Bernheisel and Steve Dalby. Well, here we are. I got nothing. I don't have a prop. I don't have anything. This sign company, whatever, they're gone. The other company I'm using, they're gone. Uh, we got nothing. But, Dolby, this is show 19, and I'm excited to do this program tonight. Well, I am too. And and last, the end of 18, I, I let you know that Christian McCaffrey could kiss my ass. Today, Lamar Jackson can kiss my ass. And then, who did I play against? George Kittle can kiss my ass. Yeah, Kittle, Kittle, yes. There's a guy named Justin Jefferson. He can kiss my ass too. I got killed. Killed. I'm heading to the yeah. losers bracket in the playoffs, and I'm yeah, I was, disappointed. And I didn't say anything to anybody last week because I didn't want to get cocky. Uh, but I'd won three in a row in fantasy, and uh, I too played against George Kittle today. Oh. And it's it's not going to work out. So I think for the third consecutive season. Unlike you, who's won twice in a row in fantasy, this will be my third consecutive season in the uh, loser's bracket, um, where if you win the loser's bracket, you have an opportunity to – we have a, like a rookie draft. You have an opportunity to, to be the first pick in the rookie draft. And for the third straight year, that'll be my, uh, that'll be my goal. So for all the okay. money that I've invested wow. in this – all the money I invested in this, that is my uh, a goal. Uh, real quick, before we get uh, started with this uh, beautiful program, um, there were numbers on the flags this week at the Hero Championship. And I know we discussed oh, last week. Oh, so you're week happy. That you don't see numbers. This week <laughs> at the Hero, they had numbers. And the first thing I thought to myself was, yes, back to old school golf. You had to be so happy. And, and and speaking of old school golf, you know, last week we talked a little bit about uh, well, we talked a lot about Lee Elder um, passing away. And I was reading a little bit about him after we did our podcast. And um, he he started out as a caddy, you know, as, as many, you know, many people did back in those days. Um, he was a caddy, started, you know, sneaking out on the golf course to learn to play um you know, after he was done with his with his rounds with with members at the club, and then he was in the service. And um, I noticed that he was stationed at Fort Lewis, which is um, is up in the Pacific Northwest. And I think it was a general maybe noticed that he could play some good golf, and he um, he kind of put him in a position where he got to play golf with some of the other officers. Um, which is something that Lee Trevino did. Um, uh, and, and there's been some other right. players uh, th that have done that when they were in the service. Um, but he played uh, the golf course at Fort Lewis. And I have actually played that golf course a few times. Um, my parents um, used to play up there. There was There's the Fort Lewis, the, Air, the Army base. They have a golf course. They have 27 holes there. So that's where Lee Elder played. And then there's McCord Air Force Base. And it's kind of a joint base. And McCord has 18 holes. So I, I used to play there um, a little bit uh, a few years ago. So it was kind of, it was just interesting to read um, that, uh, that that's kind of how he, he 
learned to play. And, and, and it is so different when you think about how people learned to play golf um, back then and then became good players. And now you kind of have the factory of junior golfers that, you know, not all of them come from private clubs, but um, there's the great instruction, there's all the tournaments they can play in, and there's sort of the, the stepping stones. And it's much different than than than, than Lee Elder had to do. And, and, and Bernie, you know, when did you start playing golf? How old were you? And was it your dad that got you into it? So <clears throat> I was young. I was four, maybe. And uh, yeah, my dad was the assistant golf pro at Bel Air Country Club in, in, in L.A. And uh, my first round of golf was with the, this famous actor who I, I don't even know if he's still alive, Robert Stack. Um, but he got me into the game, but he never taught me the game. So that's what's a fascinating question of what you just asked, because I learned how to play golf basically from his friends. And in the in the valley here in Phoenix, there was a lot of, yeah, I wouldn't say great players back then, but they were good players that, that had their time on the PGA Tour. So there were tournaments that, you know, I was like, I don't know, six, seven, eight. I would actually go out and, like Lee Elder did, caddy for him. And, you know, I didn't have a caddy, but I was young. I cleaned the ball and cleaned the clubs. And I just watched how some of these, and they were, they were tour players. I mean, they made on the tour. They played in tour events, but they just weren't very good as far as, like, to keep their card. And I, I just watched how they played. And that's that's basically how I learned to play the game. And I, and, and I never was really – my dad really never taught me. I don't think he ever wanted to. I think it was one of those, you know what, I don't want to be the, the father-son deal. You know, learn from somebody else. And I took lessons as a kid, and I changed my grip from the interlock to the overlap, and it didn't work, and, but things like that. But I learned how to play just by watching. And I think, I think that's the easiest thing. It's, it's, like, it's like my wife, Ellie. I mean, she wants to learn how to play golf. I ain't teaching her. It ain't going to be mm -hmm. me. It's going to be somebody else. And I think that's how my, me and my, my father, uh, you know, our arrangement worked because I learned from these other guys and I was, I became good. I, I wouldn't say great, but I was good. I mean, when I was, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, I, I, I could compete. And then as, you know, time went on, I didn't, I didn't put as much focus into the game and, and, you know, I found other things in life, and uh, I decided to do that. But, I mean, if I would have – I look back, and I don't regret it. I never will regret it. I look back at the fact that that I grew up with – yeah, I hate to say it – Billy Mayfair, and him and I were one-two every event. He might win, I might win, and, and, you know, he went on, and that's what he wanted to do was pursue a dream, and I did too, but I got to a point where I just didn't think I could do it anymore. I didn't think I didn't I didn't have the dedication, the drive, the things like that to spend, you know, 24 hours a day, you know, hitting putts and hitting chips and my game deteriorated. And now look, now we now I uh, co-host a podcast show. Yeah, there you go. And, and and I sometimes think with my two kids, um, I was kind of like your dad. I didn't want to be the pushy golf pro pro with with my sons. And I do think sometimes, especially with my older son, Andrew, that I wish I would have maybe got him into golf a little bit more because um, he – I don't know if you've seen him swing it, but he swings it nice, but he just never really um, – 
had the push from me that maybe would have got him in, in, in the tournaments and stuff. So he enjoys the game, but, but it's like, you know, the competitive side, sometimes I think, well, you know, he might've been, he, he could have been a lot better than he is right now had I pushed him a little bit, but then you get into the, the situation and we can kind of transition into this where it's the, you know, the Tiger Woods, Earl Woods, situation with with the parent and the golfer and and there's great things that happen with that sometimes um when you have a when you have a, a dad pushing you but there's also the downside of that and um uh obviously we got to see a little bit of tiger woods this week what did you think about seeing tiger out there well before i jump into that i i want to talk about and, and you and you brought up something and i just and it just got to me there was there was a kid um his name was Jonathan Baker, who basically it was me, Mayfair, and Jonathan Baker that, that as juniors competed, in, and it was literally one, two, three every single week. And Jonathan Baker usually won, but his dad would beat the shit out of him if he played bad. And I, I think that's where my dad like drew the line, like, okay, I want no part of this. And this kid had so much talent and so much going forward, but had so much pressure from his parents to, or from, not, not some of his, I shouldn't say parents. His mom was on the off. She was over there. But his dad, literally, I'd watch him slap his kid if he didn't win a golf tournament. If I, if I beat the kid in a tournament, he'd slap him. So now that translates to what you were just saying right now, that, that Earl, Earl was hard on Tiger. And now, you know, I watched this uh, Golf Digest interview uh, with Tiger, and I don't remember the lady's name, um, the other day his first interview since you know the crash and he talked about his son charlie how he's trying to and, and tiger's hands-on with this i mean it's not somebody it's it's tiger doing this and he talked about how like charlie's scores were starting to get worse and worse and then he went out and watched him play and he said his son had a temper like tiger and all they talked about was like strategy on how not to make a nine on a par five. And, and Tiger has been doing this in his rehab with Charlie, you know, having putting and chipping contests and things like that to try to improve his game. That's something that like back in the day, uh, that didn't happen. And, and I think he's had so much downtime and I think watching his son get better has, has driven Tiger to maybe, you know, come back and he said he's going to come back he's not going to play a full schedule so don't anybody ever ask him you know how many tournaments he's going to play he's going to play maybe four five six seven eight whatever tournaments it is um which i think is cool and he said i'm not going to be the tiger of old don't expect me as we talked about last week on this program but i think it's cool the fact that that, that he's helping his son uh become a better player and not be and I, I've heard stories about Earl Woods, you know, what, you know, what he demanded of Tiger. And he made, you know what, and here's a, here's a military guy that made Tiger the greatest player of all time. I don't think Tiger wants to do that to his son. Now, the expectations on his son, of course, are going to be through the roof because you're Tiger's kid. You know, Tiger's teaching you. you got the same bloodline. I mean, it's going to be tough on this kid. I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how this road goes with Charlie. Yeah, and I think that um, I think that that hopefully, and 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 what I see is I think Tiger's taking a little different approach than his dad took with him, um, and um, you know hopefully that's something that 
works better. I, better when I say that, you know, Tiger may may very well be the greatest golfer of all times, but, you know, and we've all, we've all done things probably that we regret, you know, or, or we'd like to change. But when you, when you look at Tiger's life, there've been some things on his personal side that certainly could be questioned. And, and the one thing that I was kind of interested in with these interviews, um, they were very much, in my opinion, kind of public relation driven, where the, the Golf Digest thing, having him kind of stroll into the, to the interview, you know, and, and the questions with the, the dog. questions have, yeah, well, the dogs and then the dog's fine. Um, but the questions are, are very um, easy. There, there's no, you know, they, they talk about the accident, but there's, and, and maybe, I, I don't know, maybe legally they can't ask the hard question, but, you know, about what happened, why, um, how. Uh, and I was telling you, Bernie, I actually went back and, and looked at um, his interview. I think it was on February 21 at the Genesis. Um, there was an interview he did on Sunday, and a lot of people have said he looked like he was um, he was out of sorts. And I, I I don't see that in that interview. And and maybe I'm I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but obviously that was the day before uh, uh, the, you know the crash. And and you know I think everything right now is generated from okay, Tiger's back, and and and. You know, I see it, I guess, in two sides. I see it as, you know, from a golf standpoint. And, and I said this last week, I hope he can turn the clock back, you know, once or twice more. Um, you know, he's he's going to be, what, 46 coming up here soon. So it's going to be harder to compete in the tournaments. And obviously with the injuries that he's had, you know, when I watched that that interview on, on February 21st, he was coming off of another back surgery. And... Um, um, you know, so he was already hurt. Then, you know, he talked about that they almost took his leg or it was on the, it was a consideration. But I just, um, I'm interested to see. And, and um, it, to me, it just looks like there's a lot of PR going on. I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, first of all, that interview on, what'd you say, February 21st, he mm -hmm. looked like hell. I, I, I disagree with you on that. He looked like hell. He looked like, he looked like a guy that, uh, wasn't all there and that's you have your opinion I have my opinion and that's you know that's mm -hmm. that's fine but and I I don't I guess my biggest thing is why why do people really want to know I mean do you want just do, do people want to oh he was shit-faced you know he had too much vodka or he had too much of this or he he was on Xanax or, or does it does it really matter I mean do we why do really we really care I, I I get the the curiosity factor in people but I don't care I, I don't care you know what he was on was he, he was speeding apparently I mean that's the, that we know that for sure but I don't care about that all that other stuff I, I it, it doesn't mean anything to me I mean and as we've talked about throughout the years that we've done something either on radio or a podcast or whatever, I was a big uh, negative tiger guy when he first came out and I, I was wrong and I admitted it and I changed my tune and, and you know, tiger is, 
and I said it last week, Tiger's the greatest player that's ever played. I, but I don't, I don't care if he was, you know, on narcotics or drunk or whatever. I mean, I, I really don't care. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, obviously, you know, maybe I am curious as to that. And, and I think when you're a, you know, when you're a public person, um, you know, maybe that's, that's part of the, the thing, I guess I look back and, and, um, I guess Charles Barkley's right. You know, he's not a role model and, and I think he's a great golfer, but, but I guess, you know, there's things that I would be, like I said, I just guess he's not a role model. You're right. You're you're 100 right. He's not a role model. He's not a role model, be, not because of what he's done on the golf course, because of its outside life. I, he, like I said, he's the greatest player that's ever played. But as a, you can't you can't bring a child up saying, "This is your role model right here, Tiger Woods." I mean, and 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 do all that. I mean, <laughs> Tiger Tiger has done things the way that Tigers want to do. I mean, he's had five surgeries. He's been in, as, as we know, minimum two accidents. I mean, he's, he's, as far as painting a picture of him outside of golf, it sucks. I mean, it's, it's awful. I mean, he, he cheated on his wife. He, I mean, he's done so many bad things, but yet every time that the word tiger comes up, the whole world forgets about what he's done. And so... I'm like that too. I'm past it. It's he, he's he, Tiger Woods is a golfer. He's not a role model. I mean, he could say he could do that like he did that interview on Golf Digest and say, you know, Charlie and I, Charlie and this, and you never hear the other. You don't hear the girl's name. You don't ever hear that. It's all about his son Charlie playing golf. So, as far as a role model, no, he ain't even close to being a role model, and and he shouldn't be in anybody's life. Shu, are you there? Toby, I am here. Yes. Do, you, do and this is just an opinion. Does does a does a public figure of his notoriety? Does he? Does he? Is it just about the sport, or is it about the person? Well, it, it's tough, right? And you guys, while you guys were talking, there was a quote that I just kept thinking about: "Is never meet your heroes, right?" And it, it's a quote that we're all told at some point in our life, and you hear it all the time. There's a reason why you don't meet your heroes because you meet these people, and then you go, "Oh." They're not the person I thought they were. They're not the person that I saw on TV. And Tiger Woods, we got to actually see that play out in front of us on live television over the course of his career. Of We thought this guy was one person, and it seems that he has all of these demons and personal problems that he then dealt with in front of us all because of how big of a public figure he was. And so, Dolby, to your point, it's obviously right. The, the golf tournament was his. It's his golf tournament. He runs it. He's in charge of it. So I'm not surprised that the, the PR is a little nice for him at these events and that maybe he doesn't get asked a tough question because he's going to do media at his thing, right? feels like when, when somebody does a, a charity golf tournament somewhere and they, they're there and they speak in front of everybody, nobody asks them a tough question because they're there in front of everybody. But yeah, this is something that's always going to follow Tiger. It's why, to talk about what you guys were talking about, everybody asked those questions after the crash. 
of, hey, what was going on, the back surgery, all of those things. And that's why the police had to come out and say, no, we just think he was speeding. That's what our internal investigation has concluded. That's why they had to come out and make all those public statements because of Tiger's past, letting those questions be asked. So this is something that's always going to follow him. It's something that's always going to be there for him to deal with. And again, he's not a perfect person. Nobody is. He's made mistakes. He's made mistakes that for some people are unforgivable. And if that's the way you feel about Tiger, I can't blame you for feeling that way. If you feel like everybody deserves a second chance and you gave him a second chance and you rooted for him like I did at what I think is the greatest sporting achievement I've ever seen in my lifetime, which is when he won the Masters a couple years ago, then so be it. You are free to pick whatever lane you want to be in. And I think you're fair in doing so. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, and I, I like that. I think, um, I like that opinion and, and, and it's not that I'm trying to come down on tiger. I guess I'm just, it's, it's, and I was curious thoughts about sort of the, the, the PR piece of it. And, um, you know, now Bernie, if we jump to the golf part of it, um, we saw tiger practicing a little bit. Um, you know, he had posted some shots, what a week or so ago, Mm -hmm. but then he was hitting some balls. Um, How'd you like seeing him out there in his in his Sunday red today? It leads me to think that him and Charlie are going to play in the PNC um, father son, and and I'll tell you why it leads me to this is they have twenty teams. I think it's twenty. Um, Retief Goosen. Well, they, there was 19 teams, and Retief Goosen and his son had to withdraw, and I don't know why. So the speculation right there was that Tiger was going to commit. But no, they were replaced by Rich Beam and his son in the field, still leaving an opportunity for one other team, which hasn't been filled, to play in the father-son. Me watching Tiger hit balls the last few days today in a Sunday red, which... You know, and they might as well just ship him all that PIP money or whatever. Um, it leads me to the thinking that that he's going to play in the father son with his kid, and yeah, and which I, I think. Uh, go ahead. I think you're right, and the thing about about the format there, and as you remember, they played together a couple years ago, um, mm-hmm. and last year, Charlie last gets, year, was it last year? Yeah, yeah, I think like, so. Yeah, you're right. So the, the nice thing is that Charlie can actually carry Tiger in a way because Charlie's going to play from front tees and, and it, the kid hits it good. The kid swings nice. Um, he's a pretty polished player for his age. And if he just keeps it in play off the tee, Tiger is going to have short shots into most of the greens. And if it's a par five that he's got to go for and two, um, you know, it's going to be a, 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 you know, a bunt five wood or something. So he, they could get around that golf course. And I think, I think it's a great opportunity. And I'm, I'm anxious to see if that does, does happen. Okay. So you, you brought up a good point. Now, what else can transpire out of this? is the fact that Charlie hits first, okay? Instead of Tiger having to hit from the lumber yard, Charlie hits first and Tiger doesn't have to hit driver. Charlie gets it in play and they've got, you know, whatever, 130, Tiger doesn't have to hit all these extra shots. So if his son can control hitting it off the tee and things like that, because they got such an advantage from the tees, you know, I don't know what the number is, could be 80, 90, 100 yards, I don't know. But if Charlie gets it out there, Tiger doesn't have to hit, you know, eight gazillion swings, and you're right. 
he you get give Tiger a wedge, give Tiger yeah, a nine and iron, I, and I and I think they'll yeah, be okay. And I think it's, it, yeah, and I, and I think even last time they played, there were a lot of times that Charlie Charlie hit and he'd turn around to his dad and it was kind of, you know, he'd give him the thumbs up and, and off they went. And, and I think that could happen again. And um, it was fun to watch those two play because they do – they do have the same mannerisms. You know, Charlie has some of the things that, you know, when they stand and, and they do different things, um, it's it's fun to see the two play. So I hope they do play. And Tiger can ride in a cart as well, so which is going to be beneficial yeah. um, for him during the tournament. Uh, let's get to his uh, Tiger's tournament, uh, the hero that happened, uh, finished today. And I'm, I'm in complete, utter shock right now i mean i just i cannot believe what i i i i watch part of it um day job got involved but with colin morikawa with a five shot lead going into the final round i i gave up i mean it was it was his tournament to lose and dalby he lost it he he did, and, and it's funny because you know last week I talked about Morikawa as probably being, in my opinion, the guy, the next young guy that might win three or four times a year and and get to that forty win number that we were talking about or whatever whatever number we were talking about, and you see him with a five-shot lead. And, and we've talked about this though, Bernie. Any time in any tournament when somebody has a big lead after 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 three rounds, after 54 holes, there's going to become a time where somebody makes a move, right? So, you know, there's, there's somebody that's got a five-shot lead and it's very, very odd that a guy would just have a five shot lead and then you know birdie the first hole and just run away and win by 10 shots it happens it's what tiger used to do but it it, it doesn't happen it tends to be where somebody has a big lead three four five groups behind somebody makes a move and maybe gets within three or two so there's always this time even when somebody's got a big lead that their that player's going to have to think but they usually they have more holes and and you don't you know you don't expect a guy like Colin Morikawa to blow a five shot lead, but it just goes to show they play they they play you know they play every hole. There's a reason they don't just play a you know a three day tournament or, or whatever you want to say or, or or they only play six holes. You know there's 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 a reason they play and and everybody plays a bad day and Colin Morikawa had a bad day. I mean, he ate that golf course up for three days, Dalby. I mean, here's the here's the and I mean, here's the number two ranked player in the world, and all he has to do is get to the freaking finish line today, and he's the number one player in the world, which I will go on record as, and I've said it before. I don't think there should be world golf ranking points for this event, and that's I'll stick to it because it's unfair. But he. Yeah, he he laid an egg today, and I feel sorry for people that that had him on their MGM to win the tournament because I looked last night, and he was he was a negative four hundred, so you had to bet four hundred to win a hundred for him to to get it done. And I would and I actually thought to myself, I really did. I thought to myself last night watching the the college football games. I'm like, 
how does he lose? But then I'm like, no, I'm not risking 400 to win 100. That's 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 stupidity. And I'm glad I didn't mm-hmm. do it because he 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 laid an eight. But I will tell you, and I'm sorry for calling that his bogey on the last hole today uh, made him tied fifth with Justin Thomas. And I made a hefty wager this week on Justin Thomas to finish in the top five. So thanks, Colin Morikawa. But I wanted to talk about the winner, Victor <laughs> Hovland. And here's a funny here's a funny thing, Dolby. And I know that, that Hovland's caddy, Shane Knight, used to caddy for uh, Sean O'Hare. And... This, this afternoon, early evening, I'm talking to a friend of mine, um, a friend of mine, Chad, and uh, I said, "Did you watch any of the golf today?" He goes, "No, but I, but but Hovland won, and uh, I'm I'm glad for Shay." I said, "You know Shay Knight?" He goes, "Yeah, he's one of my best friends." And I said, "What?" Mm. I said, "He goes, yeah, he stays with me every year at the Phoenix Open, the Waste Manager Phoenix Open." I said. Dude, I had no idea. And he goes, yeah, he's staying with me this year. So I know that Hovland hasn't made an official commitment to the Waste Management in Phoenix Open, but if uh, Shane Knight is staying with him this year, I'm going to break the breaking news that Victor Hovland is playing in the Waste Management in Phoenix Open this year. Okay, you have the inside information on, on, a, on a commitment, so that's good. That's good. What I, I, know you, you were, I know you were teaching a lot today, but on the 18 today, um, and I just saw the highlights that Patrick Reed, God, this fucking guy, um, he he played. He got he got paired with Hovland, and earlier in the round on number nine, rules again. Rules officials comes out. He has to hit a shot left-handed, but on 18, he took about five minutes with a rules official, and basically. I don't know if he was doing it on purpose. I'm not going to say it because I don't know because I don't want Justine Reed to, you know, find me on Twitter or something and, and come at me. But mm-hmm. for five minutes on a ruling, when a guy's trying to win a golf tournament from the middle of the fairway and you take that long, I mean, let's get it done, dude. What was the ruling? I, and I didn't see. I saw. I did see a little coverage on nine, and they said he was he had played left-handed on eight, and he might have to play left-handed again. But on 18, well, why does it take five yeah, minutes? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 the guy's unbelievable. I, I just, I, he kept saying that this was in his way, but it really wasn't in his way. And I was just watching reactions on Twitter because, like I said, I didn't get to see the end of it. I just got, I got to see, I, there was a great photo uh, of Shay, Shay Knight, Victor's caddy, and Victor like turning to the right, just staring, going, okay, dude, let's figure this out right now. Um, He was trying to, I don't know, you have have to go watch it. It's hard to explain. We've only got like 20 minutes left of the show, and I don't want to. Yeah, he he, he got, no, he didn't get the ruling. But he, I think he tried to ice. I think he tried to ice Victor Hovland. For some reason, I I don't know why. He's the guy's just unbelievable. I, I more and more every day I wake up and I hate him more. No Captain America for you. No, I'm out. Well, I'm I'm, I'm, comp- I'm completely uh, I'm completely out of bounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm done. Um, so uh, we 
we watched the the Bryson and uh, Brooks deal last week, and there was an opportunity on Friday for if the, if it all would have worked out on a leaderboard where Bryson and and Brooks would have played together, uh, Jimmy Roberts uh, asked Kepka after the second round. And he, well, no, he, I'm sorry, he asked Bryson after the second round, he goes, there's an opportunity that you and Brooks might be playing together on Saturday. And DeChambeau, eyes lit up and he went, sweet. Later, they interviewed Brooks <laughs> and asked the same question. And Brooks went, uh, we already saw that last week, okay? We don't need that anymore. So then on Twitter, Brooks came out and said something like, um, I beat him once. I can out trash talk him. There's no need because they're talking about like having a, a, another match between these guys, which I want no part of. I want no part of watching these guys. And Brooks came out and said, I'm up two nothing. Even if he beats me, it's two to one. It's not happening. Yeah, and I think uh, and I, I don't know what the ratings were like on, on the match last week, but um it wasn't as intriguing as, as many other matches have been. And, and um, yeah, I think, I think it's been kind of, it's been enough and you can kind of tell, tell the difference in, in how those guys act. And, and Brooks Kepka, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of like that with everybody, you know, it's kind of that, that same kind of commentary with everybody. And, and so I, I don't, I don't, I'm not surprised that he would, you know, that the two reactions would be would be different, and and that's okay. But yeah, I don't know that we need to keep. I guess I just don't think we need to be. I'm kind of done with it. I don't know how you feel, but I'm just kind of done with, yeah, with done. the whole thing. Yeah, I'm done. I, I'm completely done with it. So today, uh, during this final round on the ninth tee, Jordan Spieth playing with Henrik Stenson, and they're dead last. They are dead last in the whole field. And they come to the ninth hole, and it's been the same tee box on number nine for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So they both go to the ninth tee. Spieth goes to hit first, and somebody says, oh, no, no, Stenson's up. And they laughed. Stenson hits a perfect drive. Spieth hits a, Spieth hits a perfect drive. And as they're walking off the tee, a rules official comes up and says, you guys played from the wrong tee. We changed the tees. You played from the 17th tee. Now, there was a message posted in the locker room or tee sheet or whatever. Because I remember the day when they used to give you this crap on the first tee. You know, here's your scorecard, which I always kept because I had good penmanship. Um, and then they gave you the rules, you know, for whatever. And I just shoved that crap right in the bag. Now, whose fault is it that these guys teed off on the wrong tee? Is it A? the caddy's fault, B, the player's fault, or is it C, the rules officials for not having a note saying, we're not teeing off from here today, we're teeing off over there? Well, I'm sure there was something um, that was posted and it's the player's fault. Uh, ultimately, it's the player's responsibility to know where to play from. And, and this, you know, was kind of comical, but but this is, you know, because they, they didn't, 
you know, they're out there and they're just trying to get done. They don't care. And then they got to come back and play again. And then I think Jordan teed it up in front of the mark. I don't know. It was, you know, they're hitting out a turn. It was just, you know, they didn't, they didn't care, but this is the kind of stuff that happens in a mini tour event or a, or a, or a college tournament yeah. or a high school tournament, you know, when it's, when, you know, there's an outlaw event and it's the second day and you're yep. playing somewhere and it's 30 degrees and the first group goes the wrong place. And that's happened before. You know, that's a Monday Q story. Um, but that's not usually what happens when you have PGA Tour players and rules officials and, and everything else. So, um, but but yeah, I, I would say, and, and maybe, you know, maybe you disagree, but it's ultimately the players, it's, it's always the player's fault. And now the player might not take blame, but it's always the player's fault. Your opinion? So my opinion was the fact that the, uh, <laughs> the interview after the round was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. So, so Golf Channel had, had Spieth and Stenson and they're interviewing him. And Simpson's like, I don't know why it's such a big deal. It's only a two-shot penalty. I mean, it wasn't like we lost the whole tournament because of this. And Spee started, he literally was crying because Stenson's like, uh, we had no idea. I mean, Jordan's trying to hit in front of me. It's not his turn. We hit two beautiful drives down here. And then the rules officials, <laughs> so we get a two-shot penalty. So we got to go back. I mean, look what it cost us. Uh, I forget what he said, 17th and 20th or whatever it might have been. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and Stenson said in all his whole entire career, and even Spee said the same thing afterwards, that neither one of them have ever hit off a wrong tee box. But it goes, it, it, so I'll reiterate what you said about the local tour here, the Outlaw Tour, that they had a tournament, I don't know, year, year and a half ago, where like the first seven groups on like the third round all teed off on the wrong tee box continued to play and they all got disqualified yeah yeah and, and honestly that's where it probably hurts more in a tournament like that for those guys than it does at, at you know at the hero challenge because yeah they were just like like Henrik said it was 17th and 20th it didn't matter they didn't care but uh but you feel bad for those poor guys in a mini tour event who are scraping to pay their rent when when something goes wrong like that and i think what happened bernie and, and correct me if i'm wrong but i think it was the you know the first group went there so the second group saw them on the green and they went there and yep. then the next group saw them on the green they kept going and they were on the wrong spot so that's hard. It's hard when those guys and, and you know, th those guys on the outlaw tour and many other mini tours, they are they're chasing their dreams. They're trying to, you know, they're trying to pay the bills. It's not easy. And we do. We need to get Monday back to talk to him to talk to us about uh, about what's going on in the in the other leagues of golf. Yeah, I talked to him uh, yesterday. Uh, he's he's ready to come on. So maybe we'll have him on next week. Uh, that would be a, a, a good thing. You know, yeah. it was interesting when listening listening to uh, and, and going back to, to Tiger in his interview. He brought up a, he brought up a weird stat that was kind of cool that he had a goal two times a year to go two hundred holes, not two, not twenty, not a hundred, but two hundred holes in a row without three putting now from a teaching perspective and how you teach your players whether it's you know Merritt o'hare guys in college high school juniors myself 
who shot 80 this week at Weekapaw, by the way. Um, yeah, I know. A lot of people just probably just went, what? You shot 80? You shot 93 last week. Yeah, I shot 80. 200 holes in a row without three putting, does that does that take away from being aggressive? Um, I don't think so. I think with, with Tiger and I think with most of the – I would probably say with all the tour, all the tour players, they're, they're – they're proud of that. There's a there's the three putt avoidance stat, and they're proud of of that. They're aware of that. I think you know the one thing when you look statistically at the guys and, and the and the and the girls on the PGA or the LPGA tour, they're they're from say four feet and in. You know, from three feet and in, it's like your average is ninety. Seven ninety-eight percent. You know, from five five feet and in, or from four feet and in, it's going to be in the high nineties. So, I think you can still be aggressive with your putts if you if you choose to be. But you know, as long as you don't rip it ten feet by, you're going to be fine. And and so, um, I think they all pay attention to three putt avoidance. Of so the guys that I've I've worked with on the PGA tour, they all talk about three putt avoidance and and. Um, it was funny in, in Sea Island a couple of weeks ago when we're in the practice round. Troy had made the comment that he had not three putted in you know a hundred holes or something, and any and he jinxed himself for the week. He three putted a couple times, but but they I, I think that's something that they pay attention to, and a goal of two hundred holes in a row without a three putt. I think that's you know that's 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 Tiger's standards, and and yeah, that makes sense to me. So. And I think it was like a year ago, maybe a year and I don't know, whatever it was. You and I, you and I went to where the putting green at Phoenix Country Club, and and I and I and I told you that I'm a I'm a very um, lag it to the hole kind of guy, and because I'm not afraid of missing a three or four footer, I just don't want it, and. Mm-hmm. You, you you talked to me a little bit about you know getting to your getting it to the hole and things like that. How do you how would you teach somebody that's listening or watching this show? And thank you very much for doing that. How how do you how do you tell somebody to not be scared of the second putt? Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things that that I do a lot with junior golfers is that um, we do a lot of drills where I'm having them putt starting out with with a like a putting lesson i'll have them putt three four five footers and from three feet try to make five in a row then we move to four feet try to make five in a row then go to five feet try to make five in a row if they get really good at it then we go to 10 in a row and then if they're really good at that you could even play a game where it's like okay you make the 10 in a row then you go to four feet you make 10 in a row if you miss you got to go back and start again um that's a that's a hard drill if you get really good at it, you do that drill and you do it, you know, from four different angles. Um, I've seen that that done before, but we'll do a lot of short putts, trying to get very comfortable from five feet and in. And then, um, and it's kind of maybe what we did, maybe I'll pace off, say, 30 feet, and I will then take a club, uh, take a club and maybe put it two feet behind the hole and then the drill would be with three balls to try to get all three balls either you know you want to make them but if you if you don't make the putt you're trying to get the ball past the hole but not past the two feet and so my thought with that is that you get very good from 30 feet with your speed control and then if you're good from five feet and in even if you mess up with that speed a little bit because you're trying to get it within two feet, 
hopefully you're not hitting it past five feet. And if you're at four and a half feet, you've got a good chance. Now, what you talked about, though, is is another thing in putting. You talked about what 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 we might call the the holding speed of a player. So you would prefer and maybe a little bit like Jack Nicholas when he putted that the ball kind of goes up to the hole and it falls in. Okay, that might be your style Correct. of putting. You Correct. you want to just see the ball just kind of just just topple in. Tom Watson, Tom Watson in his prime, his speed was hit the back of the hole, bounce up and and go in, slam it in because he was a very aggressive putter. And for a while in his prime, if he missed, it goes four feet by boom, just knock it back in. And there was a time, and you may remember Bernie, where for a little while there, he stopped making the comebackers and he had some trouble with his putting. And then, you know, towards the, mm-hmm. I think he kind of figured it out towards the end of his career, but there was a little spell there. Um, there's a lot of theories about why that happened. Um, but, uh, but there's a, there was a spell where he didn't make all the putts that he did when he was you know beating Nicholas in the U.S. Open and stuff like that. But but so I think as a player you want to choose the speed that you want the ball to go in the hole and then and then practice appropriately. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. I just I know some of the listeners are you know because that's a, that's a big thing. There's a lot of there's a lot of field putters. There's a lot of aggressive putters. They're all different. But like but like you said, like if if you're if you're watching a PGA Tour event or an LPGA Tour event and you see somebody that's got three feet, you're not really worried about it. Now, from an amateur perspective or from mine or whatever, I mean, I'm, I don't want it. I, I want no part of that thing. I, I, that's why I think I always play conservative. And I think it's maybe cost me shooting 77, 78 instead of 80 or 93. Um, but the last question I'm going to ask you before we uh, sign off on this uh, beautiful program is uh, green books on the PGA Tour are being eliminated uh, beginning next year. I know a lot of people say it'll speed up the game because you're not looking at the book left and right and trying to figure this out and doing all this. But... Do you really think it'll speed up the game? Because now you're getting guys going behind the hole, right to the hole, left of the hole, doing all that stuff that we did back when I looped. Do you think it will speed the game up? Well, I think there'll still be some players that have a green book. They're just going to have the caddy, you know, shrink it down a little bit. So I still think there's yeah. going to be guys that are are, are going to have that information. And um, I think – Players that are slow on the greens right now, whether it's with a book or without a book, are still going to be slow on the greens. And I think players that are quicker on the greens are going to be quicker on the greens. So I kind of think that probably, you know, there may be a little bit of a shift and hopefully they keep track of this. Um, I'm sure they will from a timing standpoint, but I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of change in a direction that a four and a half hour round of golf on the PGA Tour is now going to be 350. I think, you know, we might get a couple minutes, maybe, maybe not. We'll we'll see. What do you think about do, that? Do, do, well, well, here's my whole thinking to it. Because there's a time, there's a time penalty in the PGA Tour. And you know more about it than I do. You're going to see guys on the greens taking way more time. Are they going to come up and like start penalizing and and warning players because they're 
You know, you look at DeChambeau. Before, before he had the book, he was slow. When he got the book, he was even slower. So maybe this will help him. But are they going to stop watch these guys now left and right more than they've ever done in, in the past? Well, and I think if you want to speed up play, that's the way you do it, right? If you want to speed up play, you have your rules officials out there and they've got the, the good, they, you know, they're, they're, and the players are aware that the clock is on because um, you've seen it, Bernie, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there's, there's rules officials out there, but, you know, maybe on a, on a nine hole uh, rotation, is there, is there maybe, you know, like when you're caddying, how often do you think you saw a rules official in nine holes? Twice? Two? Maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, they can't be watching every hole and they can't be, you know, but but if, if the guys know that on, on certain holes that these guys are being timed, um, that's where it, that's where maybe the game speeds up. And then it goes to just like, you know, like baseball is talking about, um, uh, you know, the, the pitchers having a, a, a you know, a, uh, a pitch clock, I guess is what you'd call it. That's, you know, we'll, we'll, and, then, and, then, and, and, and that and that doesn't work. And that and that doesn't work. That nobody nobody enforces that. I mean, it, it, nobody enforces that that pitch clock. It's there at every stadium. You can go to the you can go to Bank One or Chase, whatever it's called. You can go somewhere. It doesn't matter. It, it says thirty seconds or whatever it says, but yeah, it doesn't. They don't do anything about it. I mean, it's just there, and that's and that's. I mean, it, it's like you know, like when we played. Uh, week on on tuesday we played in four hours and 15 minutes four ten four whatever it was to me it sucks but i was okay with it because it's better than playing in four hours and 45 minutes yeah and, and personally i would say that uh you know i i enjoy a you know i enjoy going out on a cart with with you know if you and i went out on a cart and we played nine holes and it took an hour so be it but if we're if we're actually playing where we're, you know, playing for something or playing, you know, actual, you know, where we're really worried about score. To me, 4.15 is very comfortable from a from a standpoint. I wouldn't want to go faster, but, you know, maybe I'm a slow player. I don't know. All right, Dolby. Thanks. Schubert, thanks for everything. Uh, show 19's in the book. Still haven't heard from Sean Crespin. I, I, one of these days... I think he will appear. I don't know, maybe through a text or maybe a a casual meeting at a super supermarket or something like that. But uh, I'll just—I can't wait for that day to happen again. But uh, everything, uh, everybody, have a great uh, rest of the week, and we'll see you on show twenty next week. I've hired hey, a new hey. sign company. Yeah, go ahead. Is there golf next week? Do we have another silly season tournament? Is that the is it the shark shootout or is it the when is the father side? You know, I mean, there's not too long that we're back on the PGA tour, so they got to get it in quick. Dolby, you know? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I'm no. I I don't know because I'm gearing for the Tuesday match this week, which will be played at True North. Um, so that's all all my mind on right now about golf was getting through this podcast and then getting myself geared up for the Tuesday match at True North and see my friend Doug Hammer up there uh, where you used to work is it for the, many years. Is it, the, is, it the, is it the rematch with the boys from Burrito Express? No, they still, I haven't heard from them guys. They still <laughs> Cowards. Yeah. yeah. What'd you say, Shu? They're a bunch of cowards. Uh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, you, you get your ass drummed 
and then you just yeah we want to rematch right away and then you don't hear from the guys i mean they got excuses uh you know we're gonna open a new restaurant and th just little things that you know shouldn't imply to not being able to play in the tuesday match but uh you know it is what it is but i want to thank our fine friends at burrito express or uh your local burrito joint for sponsoring our program and uh uh if you get a chance the, the food there is, is delicious and it's quick it's convenient they're good people they support the valley they're huge suns fans huge and turn your ears off dolby huge asu fans and uh and support them because you know my my whole thing um during this covid thing and this pandemic is is support local and uh, and they're as local as you can possibly get so for shoe for dolby for myself for crestman have a great week everybody we'll see you next week hit them straight everybody